0: All right. okay so we're going to start by looking at this the reception of, of members by transfer or profession of faith so this will be the rite that we have in the uh service itself usually will occur right after um or right before the prayers of the church i can't remember exactly um yeah prior to the prayers of the church uh and so at that point in the service that'll be when i this will be this is slated to be like the second sunday of november something like that um i'll get you the date by the end of class so the way this will work is i'll invite you guys to come up and you'll all line up in that space in the front and you'll be facing me and i will ask you these questions um and so one of my things that i like to do in new member classes is go through those so everybody knows what you're agreeing to um, when you're going to do that okay so um so I'll just go through how it's going to start. I'll start with a, um, a little reading from scripture from Mark or Matthew chapter 10. Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lift up your hearts, therefore, to God, the God of all grace and joyfully give answer to what I now ask you in the name of the Lord. So, do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? And don't worry, you won't have, there aren't really long answers here. The only, um, the, I think the longest answer you have to give is, I do by the grace of God. And I will prompt those answers from you, okay? Um, so, in this first question, we're talking about the gifts that God has given you in baptism, Okay. Uh, which, do you know offhand what we in our confession say are the gifts we received in our baptism?
1: Take a guess. Were we, huh? were we
2: given the blessing of eternal life? Okay, when, so when new life,
1: right? Yeah. And which is eternal life in Christ. What else? the spirit what about
2: sin sin that's what i was thinking
1: we got the gift of sin
2: no we were free of sin
0: the the cleansing of sin cleansing of sin yeah very good (laughs) the one more related to the spirit starts with an f Faith. Faith. right now um and obviously we'll get into more details on these but in our confession of faith faith is a gift Right. It's not an intellectual action that we take. It's not that we read something <laughs> I know. No. I agree with that. Therefore, I believe. Okay.
1: Faith is, nothing um, like faith is
0: something given to you from God via the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about um, baptism is what, one of the things that we call the means of grace. Um, where one of the arguments you'll hear a lot about is, um, well, yeah, but the Holy Spirit does what he's going to do. You can't control so how can you say that this person receives the Spirit? And our response to that would be, well, we don't say that. Jesus said that. Right? And so baptism is one of the means by which the Holy Spirit has promised to be given. Right? And the primary means by which the Holy Spirit has promised to be given is what? So baptism is a specific form of this, but the general gift of the Holy Spirit is given through god's word right? so there's god's word spoken in baptism right? so I, I baptize you in the name of the father the son and of the holy spirit right um, people
2: say holy ghost
0: right and in matthew 28 that's part of what jesus commands the disciples to do in the great commission it says go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit right Spirit. Um, So that's the first one. So that's what you're going to be. So we'll go through in more detail about baptism when we get to that in the doctrine sessions. But that is what you're going to be agreeing to, that in baptism, that's actually what's happening, right? Um, So one of the big distinctions in baptism is infant baptism versus non-infant baptism. The reason we practice infant baptism in the Lutheran church is because we believe faith is a gift. And so it's not based on whether or not you can grasp it intellectually. So the practice of not doing empty baptism came about because of the argument for the age of reason, that, well, like an infant can't think for themselves, so how can they make uh, a pledge of faithfulness? Well, we don't think that baptism is a pledge of our faithfulness to God. It's a pledge of God's faithfulness to us, which is far more important because we're not very faithful. So if our baptismal identity was reliant on our faithfulness, it would not be great.
2: Does anyone right? really remember their baptism most of us very young, very babies?
0: Well, so when we talk about remembering <coughs> our baptism, we're not necessarily talking about cognitively right. remembering. Because if you were baptized when you were like me, like three weeks old, yeah. I don't remember much of anything I when I was three weeks old. Right? Um, so Uh, Like, that's one of the reasons I make the sign of the cross in church, is it? it's a sign of remembrance of my baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Um, And so what you're remembering is that you have been baptized, and because of that, you have this new life in Christ, okay? All right. The next question is, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? So this is, again, you would be then asserting that you believe the devil is real and that you believe that what he wishes to do and what he wishes you to do are not good. So you're renouncing all of those. Things. Okay. Um, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, as only Son of the Lord, and in the Holy Spirit? Okay. But believe it or not, there have been numerous Christians throughout history, and even some today, that do not believe in the Trinity. So we confess Trinitarian uh, Christian denomination, which we, so that means we confess that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. So they're the three in one. Most of, and we'll get into this a little bit when we go with the creeds, most of the church controversies and that like throughout the history of the church were all about the person of Jesus and whether or not he was just a human who became a God eventually, whether he was a god from the get-go and just pretending to be a human or whether he was true god and true man so a lot of those big controversies um, were about the person jesus so what you're saying here when you make this um, confession you're saying yes i believe in god the father son and holy spirit so you're confessing faith in the triune god any questions about that Do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of God and the doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church drawn from them and confessed in a small catechism to be faithful and true? Okay, so this one gets into some of the more common disagreements among like Christian denominations. So
1: what is the phrase inspired word of God? was inspired when
2: he spoke
1: to god was inspired
2: or well, he was inspiring us
0: okay who specifically
2: everybody
0: well, we're talking about the word of god
2: if you're a christian
0: well but that came from somewhere you didn't okay there we go the bible so when we're talking about the word of god here these are the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of god
2: What I personally believe is that men wrote the Bible, but they they got it from somewhere.
0: Okay, so that's what that phrase means. So it doesn't mean that we believe that God, like the hand of God, literally wrote the Bible, but that he inspired those who did to write the truth. Okay, so inspired comes from uh, the Latin inspiratus, which is mean to be like in the spirit. So you can even hear the word spirit and inspire. So it's spirit-inspired. So thus, we don't have an issue with Moses writing the first five books of the Bible. That doesn't then give us the idea that, well, what if Moses was wrong? Well, we would say that Moses was inspired by God. So what he wrote was what God wanted him to write. And some people find that hard to believe, which is strange to me, because if God can create the universe and everything. in it. simply by speaking, it seems like inspiring humans to write the words he wants them to write is not a very difficult task for him to do. Um, and that's what we believe the Bible is, um, that it is the inspired word of God. So that, that means that even if it butts up against my reason, so like the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, um, I confess faith in the Trinity because God's word says that this is the way it is. And even though I don't really understand how you can be three distinct persons yet, only one. God, And I can't explain that to you rationally or logically. Okay? Sometimes there's no logical
2: explanation. For
0: that. Right. But if you're somebody who doesn't believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but a collection of stories about historical accounts written by men in order to pass down this moral tradition, which a lot of people do, then you don't view it as something that can be over and above your reason. So you're always like, so the difficult stuff, you try to explain away. So this is how you have Christian denominations who will say that it's okay to be homosexual or that abortion is not wrong because they don't believe the scriptures are the inspired word of God. So they use argument, rational arguments, historical context arguments to say like, oh, well, when Paul said that, that was because this was the the nature of the day and that's no longer the same i don't know right um well i mean some of those arguments would make sense if the bible wasn't the inspired word of god right and so christians have never been concerned with the changes of the earthly cultures right christianity wouldn't have lasted as long as it has if we were trying to conform to the cultures we were. A part of. We're not trying to do that. In fact, we're trying to transform those cultures through living as God intends us to live. So they too come to the same faith that we do.
1: Um,
0: so that's one. So that's the place of Scripture. So uh, Scripture is for us the norm and practice of the Christian life. That's the best way to think of it. The norm, the normal, the norm and practice of the Christian life.
1: Sorry. So I'm if you want to know, there.
0: huh? Oh, no. So if uh, if you ever have a question about how you're you ought to live, what you should, how you should view particular things, we always go back to the scriptures, and we're very serious about that in our denomination. I had to pass tests in Greek and Hebrew so that I could read and translate the Bible um, in order to become a pastor in our church.
2: You didn't have to learn
0: Latin. No. Catholic. well catholics have to learn latin because they did the mass in latin but the original yes. languages of the scriptures the old testament is biblical hebrew and the new testament is greek and so orig- those are the original languages that they would have been written in. and so that's why we learn those that makes um, sense. yeah um so like for example um like what's your favorite translation of the bible what do you like to use or what i like to read oh english
1: <laughs> well there's a lot of english
0: translations so the one we use here at church is the ESV, the english standard version and something you may notice with the english standard version is at times it sounds weird when you're reading it or saying it out loud some to the point where sometimes you'll read it as it's written and you'll think you've messed it up and that's because the ESV, as a translation tries to as you know as closely as possible, stick to the original text, which means that sometimes it doesn't sound great in English because there's different well,
2: forms English is in one of the, the largest languages for
0: other people to learn. Well, sure, but this is related to like, there's two camps in when you translate works from one language to another. One is um, sort of like the King James version, which is more artistic and tries to read into the, the other language the way this would be expressed in English, right? So for example, um, in German, you would say Guten Tag, which is good day. No one says good day in English. The equivalent of good day in English is, hi, how are you? But for a German speaker, when you ask them, a total stranger says, hi, how are you? They're confused because that's not a question that you normally ask a total stranger, but it is here because people aren't really asking, how are you doing? It's just a form of reading, right? And so if you were translating a book in German and it says Guten Tag, the ESV would say good day in English, even though it's not a phrase that English speakers normally use. Whereas another translation might say, well, the English equivalent of that phrase would be, hi, how are you? Does
2: that make sense? Yeah, but, so, could, but that would work. I'm a cashier stepping in tomorrow for a few hours just to help them out. But every time I'm done with a customer, I will say "Have a good day." Sure. I don't want to say "Have a great day," but I prefer that. Because, sure. You know, it's not pushing. Well, and say,
0: so oh. I, when I lived in Germany for a year, I when I came back, I I stopped saying "How are you?" as much unless I actually wanted to know the answer, because it did strike me as strange after living there for a year that we would ask that question as a form of greeting. And I actually had one of the students when he was in the United States at our seminary actually pulled me aside one day and he says, and he asked me, "There are a bunch of people that ask me how am I doing every day? Do they actually want to know or am I just supposed to say good? And I told him most of the time,
2: you just say good.
0: Um, so, so that's an example of sort of those two different camps. So on one, right. the I'm ESV sorry. is one extreme. That's
2: very, very common in our society. How are you?
0: Yeah. So the ESV is one extreme where it's very emphasizing of the original language, which is why we favor it because we're very concerned with that. On the other extreme would be like a translation of the message, if you've ever read any of the message. The message isn't even really a translation. Um, because it goes so far into trying to to read into the cultural meaning that it uses different words entirely. So like uh, the best example is uh, in the Lord's Prayer, where it says, give us this day our daily bread. The message says, give us three square meals today, right? Which, you know, I would say, pastorally speaking and theologically, the message is not a great translation. It has very limited uses, but like Give us this day our daily bread is a much broader category than food. And so you're actually losing some of the meaning there. But those are the two main. So what you're going to be asserting is that you believe that it's the inspired word of God. And so we have much more care in making sure that we're accurately representing that, which is why I don't preach about my own thoughts and things like that. I preach from a biblical text.
2: And by the way, I so. love broccoli.
0: Uh, i actually like it too
2: um
0: but that was just an example okay um so that's one thing so you have the scripture here so we're saying what we believe about the scriptures and then the second part of the question is and the doctrine of the evangelical lutheran church drawn from them and confessed in the small catechism so we would say the small catechism is one of the confessional writings of lutheran church because We believe that it's a faithful exposition of the scriptures so it has the small catechism has no authority in and of itself its only authority comes from that it's we believe it's faithfully drawn from the scriptures so it's a borrowed authority right Um, and there's some confusion about that there's sometimes that people will feel like uh, one of the criticisms of our denomination at times can be that we hold our confessional writings to the same level as the bible Well, in a certain sense, that's true, and in a certain sense, it's not. It's true in the sense that the reason that we hold them up as authoritative is because their authority is derived from the scriptures. So what you're saying when you're becoming Lutheran is, in a sense, the confessional writings of the Lutheran church are faithful expositions of scripture, therefore, I believe. Um, It can be used incorrectly when you talk about them and use them as if they have their own authority. You don't make that scriptural connection then people rightly so feel strange about them. like well why did this thing that this guy wrote who because luther says some things that we don't agree with he's just a guy right so he's just a sinner like everybody else so he says he has things in his writings and things that he said that we're like eh, no that's not what the bible says right. um so so that's what that question is about so the first that the scriptures are the inspired word of god and the the confessional writings of our church are faithfully drawn from okay makes sense all right now the next question do you intend to hear the word of god and receive the lord's supper faithfully? so this is a question about what
2: communion
0: communion Going going to church right so the question that i'll ask you and this is sort of kind of a like you've probably heard of the people who say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious.
2: Everyone, okay?
0: Right? That's a very common group of people in the United States because we think that any sort of form and structure is in, inhibits our freedom, which is dumb.
1: Um, but
0: so what we're saying here is that we're actually supposed to gather together to hear God's word and to receive body and blood of Jesus, which we'll get to in a moment. And so what you're doing is you're expressing that your intent is to do that regularly, okay? Um, And the best way I can explain this is um, viewing worship service not as something you must do in order to be a quote-unquote good Christian, but as something that you need as a sinner in need of salvation, right? So um, it's more like a rock in a storm than it is a check on a checklist. Um, And then um, the question that I would ask somebody who identifies themselves as spiritual but not necessarily religious is, do you believe anything unique happens here on Sunday that doesn't happen elsewhere? Like there are people that will say, well, I can go out in nature and experience God in more profound ways than sitting in a pew and listening to the same set of words over.
1: And that argument holds a lot of sway over a lot of people. But we disagree with that. Um, We
2: need you.
0: You don't need me. I I serve in an office, and it's that office that you need.
2: Yes. Because that
0: office is part of the institution of the church, which Christ instituted for the purpose of maintaining and supporting the faith of the body of Christ. So the worship service is not for people that aren't here. It's for the members of the congregation. So um, there's a lot of confusion about this because one of the things that churches have done in the last half century is they've adapted and changed their worship services to appeal to people who are not yet members of their congregation. And they've turned something that was meant to be for the shepherding and care of the sheep into an evangelistic tool, which it's not designed to be. So can somebody come in and hear the word of God and, and the songs and be have faith created in them and want to become a member of this church? Sure. Yes. Right. And we pray that that happens. But the worship service is not meant primarily to do that. That's sort of a secondary blessing of that. Right. Um, and we'll get it more into the way God intends the church, not the building, but the people to spread his word. And it's not through using our worship
2: service primarily, okay?
1: Um, so
0: we would say that something unique does happen here, which is why this question is part of your, your public confession of faith. Um, and that is that you're coming together as a body of Christ. So in Hebrews, it talks about that, that we should not give up the habit of gathering together as some have done, right? Which is something that has been sort of fresh on the minds of many Christians in the last year and a half. Because to what degree do we obey the, the authorities of the law of the land because they, they get their authority from God? Uh and, and at what at what point is that are they have they stepped out of their God-given authority and just started using their own? And we are not to follow that. Um so like a good example is uh was it MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur in Southern California, the pastor of a big non-denominational church. They went along with the lockdowns for like six to seven months and then when they said they were going to essentially be extended indefinitely they said okay we're going to worship because he decided their church decided that they're calling from god to gather together as the people of god and be sustained in their faith through the gifts of the church was greater need than fears about getting COVID. so um and there's a bit of that i'm, I'm trying to think. it was two or three weeks ago, when I talked about the uh, Quo Vadis story of where, whither goest thou? Where are you marching to? When Peter is leaving Rome because Nero is killing all the Christians and he sees Jesus going in the other direction, carrying his cross. And he says, where are you going? He says, to be crucified again. And then Peter realizes that his preservation of his earthly self is of less importance than the works of mercy and the spreading of the gospel in the midst of that terror, And so he turns and goes back, right? And so th- this is, is sort of that question of the place of the divine service on Sunday should be one of extreme importance for you because it's the primary means by which God is supporting you in your faith. That's where the term divine service comes from. It's the divine serving you which is very odd usually in forms of religious worship it's us serving whatever god we're worshiping but in our case it's actually the opposite so he
2: thinks you're so funny uh, probably all the, all the hand gestures
0: um so one of the uh just as kind of a aside, when people will make the claim to you that well there's lots of religions out there and and all these different paths and they all lead to the same place uh, and most religions are basically alike you can say i don't believe that because christianity actually moves in the opposite direction as every other religion every other religion is about you becoming worthy and ascending to a level of being acknowledged by the god that you worship and christianity is about a god who recognizes that we
1: can't do that we can't make any progress in the ascent and so he descends to do what we could not to serve us despite our
0: unworthiness and so the worship service is the playing out of that is the participation in that relationship
1: i didn't know that,
0: that god is coming and serving you yep so th- that's why the two high points of the worship service are the service of the word when the scriptures are read and the service of the sacrament where the body and blood of jesus is given because the high points are when god is serving you and that's why when the word is read we say
1: thanks be to god for recognition
0: so when you answer this question, you're essentially saying you believe that's what worship is, and that it's important that you attend regularly. Now, not so that you can check it off your do-gooder list, but so that you can, so that your faith can be nourished and you can survive. Okay.
2: And shouldn't we want to come too?
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Gets me through the week.
0: But it's yeah. also, I mean, you want to come to church for the same reason you want to eat dinner. It's so that you don't die. Yes. Right? So dinner is a representation of your need for food. So if you skip a dinner now and again, no big deal. But if you never eat food, you'll die because you need it. So this is your spiritual food and you need it. And that's what we're talking about here. Right? So that's why this question focuses on hearing the word of God, gift one, and receiving the Lord's Supper, gift two. And you'll start to notice, too, if you think of worship that way, that the placing of the songs are intentional. So notice that we sing songs of praise after receiving these gifts and not prior. So we do confession at the beginning, and then after confession, we sing praise um, for receiving the gift and so on. Any questions about that? Okay. Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? So, this then, so the first, that previous question is dealing with justification, God's saving work for you as his, now as his child. The second question is dealing with what we call sanctification, which is, The leading of a holy life. So now that you have been saved and you have faith in the gospel and in Jesus, how then you ought to live is really what this is going to be. So, because you believe that the word of God is the inspired word, then that becomes the measurement and the guide for your life as a follower of Christ, right? And so, do you intend to live according to the word of God? Is basically as a believer, are you now going to strive to live as, as you're called to in the scriptures? Because you believe that is the inspired word of God. So, therefore, it's the highest level of authority in your life. Right? So, that means that even if your entire neighborhood or your entire city or your entire country is asking you to do something contrary to God's word, you say, and here, it gives you the most extreme resistance to wanting to live that way, which is death. So even if you risk your life in doing so, will you adhere and remain true to God? And what you're saying is, I do by the grace of God. Right? So we can't do that on our own, but we can with, with his aid. Right? And this is one area where I think you know, learning about global Christianity is helpful because it can, this question can seem archaic. Because when was the last time you thought or knew of anybody who died because they believed in Jesus? Well, that still happens every day in lots of places in the world. And it may happen again in my lifetime or your life. Or you may have just happen to find yourself in a situation where this is the choice presented to you. And it may not be somebody of another aggressive religion pointing a gun at your face and saying, renounce Jesus. It may be that you're called to stand for and confess Christ in your workplace or amongst your family to great risk for yourself. Maybe it's a relational risk. Maybe you're going to lose your job. Um, So one that comes to mind is, um, I'm sure you've heard some of the news about Loudoun County, Virginia, and the school board there and the really aggressive stuff they've been doing on the progressive end of things. Well, they invited their teachers to share their thoughts at a meeting and said, you can share them free of any repercussions. And so the PE teacher, as a Christian, said that he would not use these preferred pronouns and encourage his students to do something that he believes is a violation of his faith. And it disrespects God who made, and he was fired. And then he got reinstated because they had no grounds for firing. But he took a great personal risk to adhere to his faith, and that's essentially what this question is asking: Is do you intend to do that? Um, now, if you mess up in a situation and you don't do that, or because you're afraid you don't, is that the end of the road for you? Yeah. Of course not. Right? Then you come. Do you intend to hear the word of God and receive the Lord's praise? And you come to worship and you confess that sin and you hear the forgiveness of Christ.
1: And then you go out there and you begin that fight anew. Okay. Any questions about that? One? Right. Do you intend to continue
0: steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all even death rather than fall? away? So that one's more specific to the confession that you're now making. And the, the church there is capital C church. So that's not ascension lutheran right um so that doesn't mean like if the building's on fire you're going to risk your life by running in here to grab the communion ware or something stupid like that don't do that that's just stuff right? the capital c church refers to the invisible church which is people who have genuine faith in jesus right now our belief is that those people exist in our church body but they also exist in other denominations so we are in a denomination that says well if you aren't lutheran you're just You're out of luck, right? Um, But the invisible church is is invisible. You can't can't know, right? Um, I can't know what's in people's hearts. So like communion, our communion approach is a good example. Like to the best of our ability, my responsibility is to be forthright with you about what communion is so that you don't take it to your own detriment. But are you certainly able to walk the walk and talk the talk, but in your heart not believe? Yeah. But that's no longer my responsibility. That's now on you. Um, so my job is to do what I'm called to do. Um, and so that's that's what this question is giving at. <clears throat> Any questions about that one?
2: No, I just have to say, I don't care what anyone else's religion is. I As, as long as they believe in something that's fine with me and i i always live by the credo from the bible doing to others do. i mean my credo is- so i'm going to
0: push back against that because that's actually not what we're confessing we're confessing that you ought to care what others believe oh yes and so Absolutely. we don't say i don't care what you believe because not and i'm not saying that because you go around picking fights with people but when you say do unto others as you would have them do unto you, it does not translate as leave them alone. Mm -hmm. It translates as share Christ with them, right? Because that's what we want them, that's what we would want them to do to us.
2: I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. What I said was, I believe that even if someone is being a jerk, I will treat them the same way that I would like to be treated. Yes,
0: that is what that's calling to you, but I think oftentimes, like the way you said that, and I don't necessarily know if this is what you believe, but people say that without really understanding what those words mean, that like we actually are people who deeply care about what other people believe because, not because we want to fight them about it, but because we want them to know Jesus. And so we don't go around doing the American thing of, you know, you do you, bro, live your best life. You know, um, whatever floats your boat, As long as you don't float your boat into my pond, we're cool, we're kosher, whatever you want to say, we disagree with that. That doesn't mean you go out there and beat people over the head with a Bible. But what it does mean is when the opportunity presents itself, you don't shy away from sharing the word of God that you believe, because you also want them to believe. So if they believe in the great big flying spaghetti monster, you care about that because you don't want them to believe in something that isn't Jesus Because like the the gospel reading today, the ending for people who don't believe in Jesus is not good. And we don't want that for them, right? Um, And so now that we're sort of like, um, maybe an easy way to think about it is like, we've now become in the know. And now what you know is that there's a terrible disease that only has one cure. Before you didn't even know there was a disease, but now you know there's, a disease, and the only cure is Jesus. And so we can no longer walk around pretending that there's a hundred different cures, or that there's no problem to begin. With. And so now our life has changed as a result of that knowledge. Okay, um, so that's when you confess faith that we that we share. That's what we believe. we believe that it isn't our prerogative to go out there and be jerks about it. Right? You speak the truth in love with gentleness and respect, but you speak the truth. And for us, the truth is that Christ is the only way to salvation. So we want as many people to have the opportunity to believe in him by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So we'll flesh that out a little bit more when we get to, when we get to some of that stuff. Um, but that's the basics. Uh, then the question, this one's pretty straightforward. Do you desire to become a member of this congregation? And then, then there is one last question after that, which is, will you support the work our gracious Lord has given this congregation with your prayers and the gifts that god has given you okay so uh, in other words will you be a like contributing member now when i say contributing i don't mean like
2: giving money. Me your money
0: okay um, that's part of the gifts that god has given you so i'll be honest about that i mean jesus talks a lot about money why does jesus care about money because it's a spiritual heart issue not because he needs your money god doesn't need your money um, he's been around a lot longer than the dollar. Um, but he knows that that's a spiritual danger for each one of us because if we if we accrue too much of it and forget that it isn't ours that we're stewards and that it comes from God, then we start to put our hope and trust in that rather than in him. Um, but the gifts of God uh, that he's given you is a broader more holistic understanding right It means the gift of your time. Time is a very valuable gift A gift of talents and skills that he's given you Right? So if you're good with computers, or if you like numbers, or if you're a good communicator, all these different things can be gifts that you use in service to the church. Um, and then obviously prayers for explanatory Offering up prayers for the congregation. Um, so any questions about that? Yeah. So after that, here's what I will say. Upon this, your confession of faith. So what those questions essentially did is your public spoken confession of faith. I acknowledge publicly that you are members of the Evangelical Luther Church and of this congregation. Receive the Lord's Supper and participate with us in all the blessings of salvation that our Lord has given to his church in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we do uh, prayer. And then we So that's what you are confessing as you join this church. Now I know some of you guys are transfers from other Lutheran churches, um, but a couple people in here are not. Um, and so and even if you are, you maybe didn't go through this um, question by question before. Um, but I like to say that I want you to know what you're getting into going both eyes open. Um, so those will be that'll be the question, the series of questions that I ask you on new member Sunday. And in order to really flesh out What you're agreeing to there, that's what we're going to be focusing on in the next six weeks with our emphasis on the different doctrines of the church. Um, So we're going to be looking at the six chief parts is what they're called in the catechism, and they are baptism, Lord's Supper. um, The confession of sins and the office of the keys. Office of the keys is a phrase referring to the authority of the pastoral office that we confess, not the individual inhabiting the office, but the office itself. Um, The Lord's Prayer, Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. So those will give us the overview of the basic confession of the Christian faith that we have here in the LCMS that will
1: allow you to answer those questions informed and in good faith. Okay. Any questions about any of that? What okay, so then just kind of for
0: our last five minutes, I thought we could have some fun because I know everybody has some sort of question about it, could be about any of the stuff we covered, or just in general that they've wanted to ask and never had the opportunity, or maybe they were afraid to ask the church. And this is the place to ask, so yeah,
2: (laughs) the sign of the cross. Okay, never did that when I was in a Lutheran church, and now I see. People were doing it here. Yeah. So, so I should have been doing this
1: all the all the while? Uh, no, no, that's a good question. So the question is um, you
0: know, you grew up not doing the sign of the cross, and here we do the sign of the cross. Um, so, I would put this under the category of what's called like personal piety. Mm-hmm. So, the reason that I do it, and, and the reason that many people do it, is it's a remembrance of your baptism. So you're rem- remembering that you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is also why it's the invocation for our service. As we're starting remembering that like, we, are in a- we are enabled to have this relationship, which we're about to engage in in worship, because we've been called by Christ in our baptism. We've been made as children as opposed to people dead and sin, right? And so anytime the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are spoken, you can make the sign of the cross as a remembrance of
2: but it's just something that if it, it helps because I raised Catholic so I always do. Well, Okay. So because my friends were all Catholic so before the sun, we it, it seemed like they went this way.
1: Oh
0: yeah, I've I apparently do it the opposite way that Catholics do. I mean, so along I do So
2: is this the Catholic? This oh yeah, I do instead left, of left right.
0: Yeah. It doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, Catholic way. The yeah.
0: short answer is that stuff doesn't matter. So, in our understanding, that would be if if you want to bow, like some some pastors and some people, when you say the name of the Trinity, they will bow out of reverence for the name of God. Um, you can do that. Um, so you'll see also that uh, sometimes after communion, people make the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. After communion, it's really up to you. There's no like right or wrong there. It's not a it's not a commanded thing. Um, those are a little bit more um, legalistically applied in the Catholic Church. It has a steeper tradition for one and two, I think there's extra weight applied to those sorts of outward actions that we don't really apply. So you'll go to some churches and they don't do that at all. Um, and others that do. And some pastors don't do that stuff, some do. So like you're not, you're not missing out or losing anything by not having done.
2: Yeah, don't
1: feel
0: bad. (laughs) So it's meant to be sort of like when you make a mnemonic device to remember something important. It's similar to that, at least for me. Um, So, and it's the same with, uh, like if you break down, you know, like why do I wear what I wear? Um, Is it to set me apart and make me special? No, it's actually the opposite, right? I'm wearing all black because it's a representation of my sin that even though I'm a pastor, I'm a sinner like everyone else, and there's only one spot of what I'm bringing that's pure, which is God's word, which is spoken, which is why this is at my book. So, um, but those things, like if, if I'm up there in sandals, cargo shorts, and a Hawaiian shirt, can I, I'm not going to, but like, if we're in a situation where like, you know, I have some major disaster at home, yeah. and this gets covered in a bunch of terrible stuff or whatever, like, and the option is being a little bit more informal in my dress and still doing church or not doing church. Like, this isn't something we wouldn't do church. We would stop doing church for. Right? Um, they're meant to be helpful um, things, but they're not like, this must be there. Otherwise, you're and not anyone doing Anyone doesn't
2: suspension. know anymore, figure it out. Yeah,
0: it's also very useful. It's the same <laughs> reason it's useful for a police officer on duty to wear a uniform, because then other people know why they're there and what they're about. You but.
2: know what, Pastor, in Catholic religion, they always wear the robes, but they, well, they wear the same clothes you do when they're not in conducting mass.
1: Yeah.
0: So I, I'll wear this. Uh, well, I wear it with khakis during the week, but I wear the clerical, especially when I do hospital visitation yeah. or I'm doing something specific to the, the office of the pastor. But it's again, so the, the, the Greek word that we use to describe this is called adiaphora. So adiaphora refers to the whole slew of things that are neither commanded nor prohibited explicitly in the scriptures. Um, So like the manner of dress, which denotes respect to God in the worship service is not handed down in black and white in the scriptures. So there's no right or wrong way to dress in church. Now you can enter into the realm of other sins if you push that to its extremes, but um, generally speaking, like making the sign of the cross falls in that same category. If it's helpful for you, do it. If it's not, or if you have
1: something else that you like to do, go for it. Okay. Good question. Any others? Yeah, I got one. Uh, uh, there are some people that believe that the Holy Day is on Saturday. Yep. It in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so the original Sabbath was uh, Saturday um, because the way that the uh, Israelites and the Jewish people measured a day was from sundown to sunup. And so, um, but we, we now worship on Sundays because uh, the resurrection was on Sunday. And so that's, we shifted the Sabbath to Sunday. It's also because we no longer follow the sabbath law as, been, as it was given in the old testament um, so essentially the reason for that is because we view the resurrection of jesus as the first fruits of a new creation so the reason that saturday was considered sabbath was because it was the final day of creation where god rested and so we shifted it sunday because there's a new creation now in christ so it marks
1: All right, well, think of those sorts of questions to ask in time during class,
0: even if they're not necessarily on topic. I'll try and leave some time at the end of class for those sorts of questions because I don't want you to just get the basics, but certain things, people have encountered lots of different things in churches over the years, even other Lutheran churches that they're like, why did we do this or why didn't we do this? Please ask those. That's the purpose of this sort of class, is so that if you've got anything, you know, and around in your brain that has given you misgivings about about church or just confusion about topics, this class is the place to sort of deal with that. So, um, and if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you, I don't know, but I'll look it up. And if there is one to give, I'll do it. If there's not, I'll say, "There's there's no reason, you know, there's no answer. So, all right. Well, it's a little after 12. So let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for these people who are coming to join your church here at Ascension Lutheran. They're entering into our membership, either as transfers from other churches um, with similar uh, confessions of faith, or they're newly confessing the Lutheran faith. And I just ask that as you guide them along this journey, that their knowledge about you and your word can grow and deepen, and most of all, their knowledge about the new relationship that they have with you in Jesus. Um, I pray that as we begin our sessions on our doctrine um, this next week and the following month, that you would bless our discussions, that they would be enlightening and uplifting as we discover more and more how wondrous and deep and great your mercy is for each and every one of us. In the name of
1: Jesus, I pray all these things. Amen. All right.